Good morning, Walter Spires. I'm delighted to be here with you this morning. Kind of a overcast, cooler day, which is a good thing. I think we're finally heading into fall. We're going to continue in our series of five callings of Jesus that changed the world. Hope it's been a good one for you. We're going to be on number four today. I'll review the other ones very briefly. Everything's posted for you on the website, onlyjesus.life. Let me pray for us as we begin. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It's the only truth that we have that we can count on, rely on. And I pray this morning, Lord, as I teach from your word of truth, that the Holy Spirit would use it to help those who are hearing, just as it's helped me as I've prepared it, to help those who are um, leaning in and listening, help them in their lives, help us to understand more about what it means to die with you which is what you've called us to do. Help us what it means to know not only how to do that, but uh, the fact that we can have, that we can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit and Him alone. And so be with us in our time. Guide me in my uh, thoughts and teaching. Help me to stay on point. For Christ's sake, amen. So let me go through the first parts of this very briefly. The first one of these callings was come out and live, and the story was Lazarus. You may recall that Jesus waited several days. Lazarus was dead. Jesus went and called him out of the grave just so that everyone knew he was dead. He'd been in there, I think it was four days. And when Jesus called him out, they knew he'd been dead. You don't seal someone in a tomb without any air, covering it with a rock, all that stuff. No food, no water, and think he was just faking it. He was dead. And so we use it to talk about the three kind of lives that Jesus calls us out to live. And the first, of course, is eternal life. That's the most important, eternal life, that we're born again in Christ. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you and call you to an abundant life. And we talked about what that meant. Not any kind of prosperity nonsense, but an abundant life, meaning the abundance of him. Be more and more consumed by him, filled with him, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the abundant life. And then finally, he called us to live a selfless life. And the example that he gave us there was when he washed the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. He got up, went around and washed their feet and told them to do what I've done. You've seen what I've done to you. You call me Master and Lord, and so I am. But now I've humbled myself, gotten down, washed your nasty feet. You go do the same for others. It's the most amazing example and the best example of servanthood we have in all of Scripture. The second calling was to rise up and walk, rise up and walk. And the story was in John 5 about the paralytic who'd been laying by that pool of Bethesda for years. He, we're told he had been paralyzed for 38 years. Perhaps that was all of his life. We don't really know, but 38 years is a long time. And he'd been laying beside that pool for a long time as well. And we know the story that there was an angel, the way it's written and told that uh, this, there's some discussion about that, but I was just going to tell you how it reads so we didn't get bogged down in that. But the way it was told is that there was an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters, and the first one in got healed. And that's why there were all these people of various diseases and sicknesses laying around that pool waiting to be healed. And you recall what we learned in that particular story was the most interesting thing when Jesus asked the man, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? And he's laying there by that pool for a long, long time, 
And then the even more interesting thing was that he didn't answer, yes, absolutely, Lord, heal me, heal me. He simply told Jesus why he had not been healed and why he could not be healed. But Jesus went ahead and healed him anyway. So Jesus Abide in me. The third one, one we talked about last week was abide in me. Abide in me. And that was in John 15. He said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. And so we're called to be those branches that abide in Jesus. If you're born again in Christ, we are vines that have been grafted in because we're Gentile Christians. We talked about that. But nonetheless, we are grafted fully into that vine, which is Jesus. And we have our sustenance and our supply and our lifeblood flowing from that vine into us. He is life to us. And only through him can we bear fruit. And the fruit he was talking about was to go make more disciples. Remember, that was his command. Go make disciples. Go make disciples. That's the fruit that he's talking about bearing. That's not the fruit of the Spirit, which Paul discusses in Galatians 5. This is the fruit Jesus is talking about of bearing fruit, which is reproducing ourselves as Christians. So come out and live. Rise up and walk. Abide in me. And today we look at the fourth one. Jesus' words get more serious. The concern and the consternation of the disciples grows as well because he keeps talking about death. He'd been talking about his death intermittently, and they just didn't believe it. They just couldn't understand. In fact, you may recall Peter rebuked him once and said, Lord, that surely you're not going to do that. And, of course, Jesus rebuked him back and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus was preparing them the whole time, but for what they didn't know. They did not know. And so he began to reveal more and more of what was going to happen to him, but then also to them. And that's when it got scary. And that's when they're kind of thinking about, wait a second, did we, is this what we signed up for? Because understand up to this point in those three years, and maybe this was, I don't know, two, most of the time through those three years, it had been such a sweet ride. You know, you get to walk around with this guy that's doing miracles and he's raising dead people and he's he's bringing food out of nothing, out of, you know, uh, uh, what is it, five loaves and two fish. And they're just they're just blown away. But the cool thing is they get to hang out with this guy the whole time. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Unbelievable miracles, you know, giving sight back to the blind healing the deaf and the, the mute and all those things that he did all that time. And now he keeps talking about dying. And it's bad enough he's talking about himself dying and being killed by his own people. The Romans will execute him, but his own people, the Jews, demanded his death, right? You remember that? That's our Resurrection Week story. But now he's talking more and more about their part in this. And that's when it begins to get a little bit more disconcerting to these disciples and to many other followers. So today we're going to get into this. And the, and the command of Jesus is to die with me. I'm going now. I want you to come with me. And so let's look at these verses today. <clears throat> we're going to look at two first in Matthew 10 and Matthew 16. And I'm going to read these to you. The first one is Matthew 10, 38 and 39. So Jesus, this is one of the first times he starts getting into one of um, the verses, the passages talking about their participation in this. 
Now the one, Jesus is talking, and he's talking to them because it said he, in Matthew 10, he called his disciples to him and began to teach them because this was, was specific to them. There were more disciples. Remember, there was a 70 or 72, and there were broader bands of disciples. And of course, there were the 12 that he picked himself, including Judas at this time. So here's where it starts to get more difficult. In Matthew 10, he said this, Matthew 10, 38 and 39. Now, the one who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And the one who has found his life will lose it. And the one who has lost his life on my account will find it. Uh, This is one of those first times when he talks about the one who does not take his cross and follow me. I've taught you on this many times before. The cross meant one thing in Roman, in that Roman Empire, in Roman history. One thing. Death. And not just death, but a humiliating, merciless, painful, long-suffering death. Crucifixion was created by the Romans, at least the version they use. I studied that a while back, and there were others who would nail people to trees or wood, but the, the way the Crucifixion was carried out by the Romans, and it was written by some of their own people, philosophers and writers uh, in history. It was the most cruel of all the uh, forms of capital punishment and death ever created. And so when, when Jesus said, he had told them, I'm going to die. They're going to nail me to the cross, and I'm going to die. But now he's saying to them, if you want to be my follower, you have to take up your cross and follow me. And we know that in another passage, that's when people started checking out because Jesus began teaching harder and harder and harder things to not only to understand, but to really own once you did understand them. And so as people began to understand them and he began to explain more, people started checking out. And there's one passage that says, and they followed him no more. I didn't sign up for this. I like all the great stuff going on. It's man, this is fun stuff. We're hanging out with this guy. He might be the king. He may be the one. We're going to throw down the Romans. It's going to be great. And the closer he got to the cross and the more he started talking about the fact that that he was not a political leader. He was not a military leader. He didn't come for that. The more people checked out and left and thought, this is not the guy. This is not what we wanted. And now on top of that, not only is he not going to overthrow the Romans and bring us our freedom back. He's talking about dying and he's talking about us dying. Talking about taking up your cross? Mm. Not what we signed up for. Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus said this to his disciples. If anyone wants to come after me, and, and we, we call ourselves followers of Christ. Some people don't like the word Christian. I personally do because it's what the Bible used. But I understand it's gotten a, a watered down and kind of a tainted name in our culture, but that's that's no one's fault for, but our own for letting it happen. So I'm delighted to be called a Christian and, and associated with being a uh, one who is committed to Christ and born again in Christ. But Jesus said this, if anyone wants to come after me, be one of my disciples, he must deny himself, take up his cross. There's that instruction again, Matthew 10, now Matthew 16, take up his cross and follow me. Here he says it again, Forever, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, will find it. Same basic words he gave them in Matthew 10. Again, he's repeating these things. He's teaching why? 
because now he's proceeding toward Jerusalem and that final visit and that final, those final days and a time with the disciples and he's teaching and he's really getting into it and you're kind of separating wheat and chafe because those who couldn't buy it, didn't want to, wanted nothing to do with that, would just leave. So Jesus was laying it out there for him. He wanted him to know, this is what happens. You follow me, you stay with me, you claim me, you you eat my blood, you excuse me, you eat my flesh, you drink my blood, as you use that example that confused so many. It means you're bought in, you're all in. If you're going to be all in, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. So I want to spend some time talking now about the attitudes of the disciples because it looks like us. We're just going to look at what these disciples who had been with him for three years, what it looked like, what they said, what they did. And I think you'll find this very interesting. You already know this, but I want to put it in this context of die with me. So the first time this comes up, and I found this interesting with one of the disciples, was Thomas. You know, Thomas is given that bad rap of being doubting Thomas. We grow up in Sunday school, if you've been, if you were a Sunday school kid like I was, and what you learn about Thomas is what? Doubting Thomas. Bless his heart, that's what his, that's his nickname, that's what he's called. The story of his doubting, you know, that we read after Jesus' resurrection when he said, I'm not going to believe unless I put my fingers, you know, in his holes in his hands or his wrists, a hand in the side, got the name Doubting Thomas. I want to give you a passage that lets us know that he was as rock solid as any of the disciples. And we find this in, in John 11. And again, it's a passage most people don't know and don't understand about Thomas. Now, you remember when we were talking about the come out and live the Lazarus passage, John 11 it's the chapter that covers all the story about Lazarus. When they told him Lazarus was sick and Jesus wouldn't come, Lazarus died, this whole story. As we get on beyond that story, Lazarus has been raised. Now Jesus is talking about heading out, heading toward Jerusalem, because they were in Bethany. Remember, Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived in Bethany, which is just a few miles, just down the road from Jerusalem. And so Jesus headed that way now. And so this is Jesus talking about the story before he leaves what he was doing to go to Bethany to heal Lazarus. Because basically Jesus said before, oh, he's just sleeping. It'll be okay. Well, he was kind of putting them off and putting them on. He did that. So in John 11, 14 to 16, before Lazarus was raised, we read this. Jesus said to the disciples plainly then, plainly. Again, he had not spoken plainly before. He said plainly, Lazarus in the sleep. Lazarus died. And I'm glad for your sakes, meaning all the people that are going to watch, that I wasn't there so that you may believe me. But let's go to him. Let's go to him. Let's go to the dead man. And so therefore, therefore, Thomas, who's called Didymus, which means twin. I think Thomas would have been a twin. Therefore, therefore Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let's all go so that we may die with him. Let's all go so that we may die with him. Thomas understood, as they all did, that the closer and closer this got to the point of Jesus' death, it was getting more and more dangerous. The Jews, the Jews, Jesus' own people, the religious leaders in particular, were constantly looking for ways to kill him, for reasons to kill him, for reasons to have him arrested. They followed him everywhere he went. They listened to every word he said, not for the reasons that we would, not for the reasons that other followers were to hear 
the words from this amazing teacher who might be the Messiah. Maybe he's that or maybe he's just a prophet. But people go in, they want to learn. They want to hear what he has to say. The Jews followed him everywhere that he went. The Pharisees and some of those leaders for one purpose, to figure out how they could catch him in a lie. They could catch him in blasphemy and have him killed or at least arrested. It's got more and more dangerous. And so as they're moving now toward Bethany, getting closer toward Jerusalem, Thomas said, let us go with him that we may die with him. He was willing to go with him and die with him. We need to give Thomas some props for that. You know, the Apostle Peter is one of our favorites. And, and if you're wired like I am and in similar personality style or type, Peter is that one, the most bodacious of all the disciples, right? <laughs> he's the one that, that jumped out of the water. To, he's, he actually is the only human that ever walked on water besides Jesus. He, in fact, we know in that story, he did walk on water. Remember, he, he got out of the boat and saw Jesus walking on the water and said, Jesus, call me to do the same thing. Call me out to you. And he said, okay, come on. And Peter jumped out, as we know, and he's walking on the water. And all of a sudden, he looked around and he saw his circumstances. Wind, waves, I'm standing on top of the water. This isn't right. Boom, and he sunk, right? Just a bodacious guy. What else did he do? Um, oh, yeah, he, um, he cut off Malchus's ear, the servant of the soldier in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came to arrest Jesus, right? He, whacked, he took out his sword and he whacked off his ear. And, of course, Jesus picked the ear back up and put it back on, which is pretty amazing, right before they arrested him. But Jesus was that one, man, I'll never deny you all those things that he said. But I want to read that part to you because this um, proclamation, this bodacious proclamation of Peter, man, I'm the guy. I'm with you, Lord. I'm your man. I got your back. We read this in Matthew 26, and I'm reading verses 31 to 35. That Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. This is the night. For it's written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all of these may fail you or fall away, I will never fail you. I will never fall away. And that's when Jesus said to him, Peter, truly I said to you this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, Lord, not just him. We're in too. We are all in too. We will not leave you. We will not desert you. Even if we have to die with you, we will. We're in the same chapter, Matthew 26. Let me skip on down a little bit. Keep in mind what we just heard. And in verses 55 and 56, Jesus, they've come to arrest Jesus. And all the disciples there, we know they had two swords with them. But all these people, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers and the Jews, they came to arrest Jesus. And so Jesus said this in verse 55. At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. In other words, why didn't you just arrest me then? I was I was with you all those days. Just come get me. I was in broad daylight. Now you come in the night. You arrest me as a thief. And verse 56 says, but all this has taken place to fulfill the scripture of the prophets. And then here's the key. 
Remember what was said a few verses earlier, and this passage closes with, then all the disciples left him and fled. Gone. <laughs> it was a few minutes between the time they said, hey, we're, we're in, we're, we'll die with you. We will, absolutely. Not just Peter, all of us. So they all said the same thing. And then it said they all fled. They were gone. They ran. They were scared to death. They were scared to death. Mm. <laughs> What's interesting to bring it around for the disciples is this. We know from Scripture that Peter and John we believe were martyred. And James, actually James, the brother of John, was the first one to be martyred. The first uh, disciple martyred in Scripture. Now, extra-biblical literature, which means those things written by historians, Josephus and some of the other writers in the second century. Again, this is all first century A.D., right? Jesus born in 4 B.C., crucified around 30 A.D. Most of Paul's letters written in that 50 to 65 A.D. The Apostle John, the last eyewitness, as I did that series years ago, was old man. And, and John wrote in the 90s A.D. So he, he um, uh, lived 30 plus years longer than any of the rest of them. And that's why the Gospel of John, by the way, is different. We have Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are called the synoptic gospels because they're written somewhat similarly in the way they're laid out and things with the parables and all that. And John's written differently. But there are some things that are common to all, including Peter's denial and some of these things all around the crucifixion. They're in all four gospels. But what we know, what we read from this, these other history books, again, and not scripture, was that all the disciples basically were martyred. And we'll take Judas out because Judas martyred himself. He went out and hung himself. So take those 11 who became apostles. And then Matthias was the one appointed in Acts because they wanted 12. So they drew lots and appointed him. It was Justice or Matthias. It was between the two of them. But what history tells us, they were all martyred. <laughs> and so what we learn is that once the power of the Holy Spirit came on them at Pentecost, they were able to do, finally, what they claimed they would do years before in the presence of Jesus, that we will never deny you. And within minutes or hours, they not only denied him, they ran and got the, you know what, away from him and deserted him. And we know the only one at the cross who came back for the crucifixion was John. So I think John is such a, such a beloved, amazing uh, apostle. I love reading and studying his, not only his gospel, but his epistles. They're powerful, they're powerful. But history tells us that they all were martyred at some point because they continued to preach the gospel. They got it. They had a chance when, when the Holy Spirit came on them at Pentecost, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and all the things going on in that that uh, part of Acts, when you first read that, and they're sitting there in that room, and um, just the most amazing things happening, then they understood. And Jesus appearing to them again over 40 days, now they got it. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. And now they saw, sometimes, you know, it takes us seeing, and Jesus criticized them as he does us, and 
Faith isn't seeing. Faith is just believing. But then he came to them and he proved it just as he did to Thomas. Here are my hands. Here are my side. As he proved it, they were blown away. They were humbled and they were broken. They were broken, humbled because they had sworn loyalty all the way to death. And then they denied him and they ran away. They ran away. Peter denied him those three times. <laughs> oh, that I had only denied him three times in my life. Mm. And so it brings us, as I close this out, to us. It is our turn in the crucible. It's our turn in the crucible. In 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul wrote this. Because you remember, let me back up just a second. The Apostle Paul, the chief persecutor, murder of Christians in that early church, Jesus appeared to him himself. That's why he can be called an apostle, by the way, because Jesus appeared to him directly, confronted him. And you know that story on the road to Damascus. And so Paul was perhaps, he and Peter, because of their denials, because of what they did, they were perhaps the most um, repentant, contrite, humbled, and then bold for Christ. They were. You know, Peter, James, and John were the, were the leaders of that early church, and Paul was the persecutor of it. But once he got radically saved, radically saved, he spent the rest of his life, every minute of every day, just trying to lead people to Christ and tell them how he had found the truth when he had been the persecutor of the truth, the chief among sinners. And so this is what he said about that in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. He said, I affirm, brothers and sisters, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, that what I die daily, I die daily. I die to myself daily. What does that mean? It means, again, if you read the rest of his epistles, his letters, he was beaten. He was thrown in prison. He was stoned, left for dead, all these things. And literally left for dead on several occasions. He was just saying, I die to the flesh. He has the same desires and lustful things that we do all those cravings, all those things. He just learned by the power of the Holy Spirit to die daily to himself. That's our charge. That's our challenge. That's what we're, we're told to do, commanded to do. Jesus told his disciples. And if you're a follower, not just a follower of Christ, if you're born again in Christ, if you're a Christian, he spoke those words to you and me as well. In Galatians 2.20, which many of you know from memory, it's one of those verses we learn early in our Christian lives. It begins with that powerful phrase in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I am crucified with Christ. I die daily. Mm, 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 mm. So let me wrap this up by get, asking some questions, okay? I've asked myself, and they're difficult questions, because this death stuff is difficult stuff. People don't like dealing with death of loved ones, and most people don't like about thinking about their own death, uh, especially those who don't know where they're going, don't know what happens after death. We do. We do, and we're secure in that. And I always say, if God took me out today, if I didn't finish this sentence, I would be delighted because I'd be home in the presence of the Lord 
just like that. Oh, what a great and glorious day that is. I, I would go right this second if the Lord would just take me out. Mm. And Paul said the same thing, but he said, you know what? God's not finished with me yet. Perhaps he's not finished with me yet. Perhaps he's not finished with you yet. And so the first question is this. Has understanding what Jesus did in his death, has, have you understood that? Has it changed your life? Has it changed your life? How you live? Has understanding that Christ died for you, has it changed your life? If not, you need to ask yourself something. Did it really matter to you? Does it break your heart? Does it make you fall on your face and just weep thinking that, that Jesus Christ, Son of God, Messiah, the perfect Lamb of God, was willing to die for you and for me, our miserable sin, our lives? Does that not have an effect on you? Well, if you're born again in Christ, it's had a profound effect on you and me. And it changed our lives. It changed our lives. We repented of our sin, and we've gone this direction now where we want to follow Christ and obey his commands. And what was that? To love one another, to love your enemy, to love yourself, to love God first, to bear fruit, and go make disciples. You need to, that ought to be your checklist, if you will, to see how you're doing. How are you doing? Because that's what dictates and speaks right to you if, if Christ has made a difference in your life. God doesn't sell fire insurance. Walking an aisle, praying a prayer, claiming you got saved, thinking you got fire insurance. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't work that way. There is a change. There's a change because that's what Jesus said. It's a changed life. Remember what Romans said, we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds because our hearts have been regenerated. This evidence, this evidence, and that fruit we talked about last time, that's the evidence. Now, the second question is this. In your heart of hearts, are you really willing to lay down your life for the sake of Christ? Should our culture deteriorate to that point? It has in many countries. Did you not have supported martyrs and, and ministries that support martyrs, Christian martyrs all over the world? We get uh, booklets and calendars showing these countries, uh, some of which the United States, by the way, supports and sends money and aid to. And they are murdering our brothers and sisters, murdering. Don't you find it interesting that we're willing to deal and try to negotiate with some people? Uh, famous athletes or other folks, and yet not one finger lifted, not one finger lifted to go to these people, some of these countries, for fear of the politics or the military repercussions or the economic repercussions, and speak up for those in Christ who are being murdered every day. I taught on that a while back in a, a season I was preaching about martyrs. I don't remember all the numbers, but there, there are thousands of Christians, brothers and sisters like you and me, and these other nations being slaughtered, being stolen, women being put into sex trafficking. It's going on every day. Are you willing to die? Are you willing to step up and say, hey, you know what? I, I, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. And it cost me my life. Terrific. Because just as I said a minute ago, I wake up immediately in the presence of God. In the arms of Jesus. 
And that's what these martyrs are doing. The disciples were martyred. Many of them were martyred. We just don't think about that today in our culture, in this day and age, in the 21st century, that going on, it's going on more now than it did then. We need to wake up for that. I guess the other thing is, has it caused you to take up your cross and follow him when maybe it's not your death, but it's difficult and dangerous circumstances in that you might lose your job? You know, people today in the corporate world, it's very different than when I was there. And I was there many, many, many years and was a bold Christian during most of that time. Not obnoxious, not in your face, but I represent him well. You can't speak the name of Jesus now. You can hardly do it anywhere out even on the street. But as Christians, if we're willing to die with him, then that means you might lose a job sometimes. You might lose family members. You might lose friends. Are you prepared to do that? Because if you're just blending in with the crowd, afraid you're going to hurt somebody's feelings, and that's not really Christianity, you are totally deceived. That's Satan's playground. You're totally deceived. It's not about being nice and warm and loving and kind and all those things at the expense of. And we we do those things, right? Because Jesus did. But he also spoke the truth what people consider the hard truth, the difficult truth, that we would not let people think that we're just nice people. Oh, he's such a nice guy. I'm actually not that nice a guy. I have to make sure people understand that I'm born again in Christ. And and sometimes I'm considered too direct about this. And that's part of my calling, but it's not ever a calling to be unkind. Those things, I try not to be that. And if I find myself in there, I'll go repent and ask someone's forgiveness. But I'm not asking forgiveness. I'm not sorry about just speaking the name of Jesus and talking about the fact that he's the only way, that John 14, 6 thing, and I close with that. You know, for those, I wrote some things out here for those who continue to reject this. I'm going to give this invitation every week. For those who fall into this, for those who come across this on YouTube or our podcast or on the website, however you receive it, it's not an accident. I always say that it's not an accident. The Holy Spirit put you here for a reason. And I may be the very last one, the very last evangelist, Bible teacher that is put in front of you before your life is taken. That's a scary thought if you can if you continue to reject my teaching, which is just biblical teaching. It is not about me. It's not about what I've said. It's what God has said. And I just try to teach biblical truth and not add to it, not take away from it. So that you would know the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and help you, God. You need that help. You need that forgiveness. You need to understand that Jesus is the only way. He's the one that said that in that verse that so many people hate. I consider it the pivot point of the scripture. In the New Testament, the gospel, John 14, 6, when he said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. And here's the hard part. This is difficult. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Wow. That's politically incorrect. That's really politically incorrect. (laughs) But it's the truth. It's the truth. And I hope that hearing this truth, you won't reject it anymore. You will understand that God does love you. And the manifestation of God's love, it's not all these other things. It is Christ dying for your sins. It is Jesus who is God. 
coming here, taking on a form of a man, living a life amongst all the people like us, miserable sinners, needy people, needy sinners, and dying for us. And he did for you too, if you'll just receive him as your savior. I pray that you will. I pray that you will. Don't reject this one more time, just in case I'm the last one that God sends to you. Hmm. Just receive him today. Just repent, confess. Say, Lord, I need a savior. I need something. I've screwed this up big time. We all did. We all have. We continue to do so. But we have a loving, forgiving father who forgives us through the blood of Christ. And he will yours as well. Father God, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Lord, I pray that these penetrating questions, that these difficult scriptures that challenge us to ask ourselves and examine our lives to see if, in fact, we have died with you and we're willing to die with you. Oh, Lord God, give us that strength and that courage. Give us more of your Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we have no chance to do it. Holy Spirit, overwhelm us, overpower us, work on us and work in us so that you can work through us for Christ's sake and Christ's sake alone. Amen. God bless you. You have a great week. To learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong, go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.